Matthew, you are you are live now. All right. Hey, how are you doing, Mohammed? Very good. Very good. Uh, just uh, introduce yourself to everyone who will be watching or listening to this episode. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Matthew Parks, and I am the Senior Director of Information Technology for Patients for Girls. And uh, Patients for Girls is a nonprofit that is based in Florida presently. We have uh, 20 locations around the state of Florida, 21 including our headquarters. We ventured out into the Macon area as well, so that's a future uh, endeavor that we're uh, excited about. And what we do is we actually help uh, young ladies reach their potential uh, who may have had some uh, traumatic experiences that have impacted their education. Uh, we partner with those 28 counties and we work with them to uh, supplement the education part while giving them uh, counseling to help them through the traumatic pieces that they may have encountered. Uh, my job is simply to uh, provide the technology that keeps the trains on time, right? So um, in, a, in a nutshell, that's, that's what I do. Beautiful. And Matthew, uh, how you came here, you should have a journey coming to pay. Mm -hmm. You know, like you have started somewhere and right. then you know, eventually, you know, like uh, you got some experience. How was your journey coming to the IT? You were very passionate or it was an accident? Um, you know, that's kind of funny. Um, I often tell people that um, I didn't choose IT. IT chose me. Yeah. Um, I kind of uh, came into it um, uh, through study. Um, uh, one of the things I did early on, I've been in IT, first of all, professionally, I've been in IT for uh, since 1995. So you're talking 25-some years or something for a long time. Um, and I started out in the case when we actually had to use dip switches to configure computers and stuff, uh, you know, on the hardware side. Um, yeah, so when dinosaurs were on the earth kind of thing. Um, so I've been in it for a long time. And um, I, 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 what I did is uh, coming out of school, I did research. Um, so there were magazines that were available that kind of projected jobs that were um, that were going to be hot jobs moving forward. They still do those type of things. So one of those pieces um, that I did is I did that and kind of matched my interests with it. And um, I, I went in a different direction than I kind of came back to a technology because it kept grabbing me in different ways and so I had an acumen for it. So I moved in that direction. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, that's how, that's how I got into the field. I've always, you know, even as a kid, I've always been kind of into science. I've always been um, into uh, computers. You know, I, I go back to those old Radio Shack TRS-80s, yeah. um, you know, Coleco Atom. So, you know, I had those devices a long time ago, even as a kid. So I've always kind of been in the field, um, but peripherally, but now professionally, uh, again, since 1995, um, is when I actually started working professionally in the field. Um, I started out working there as an assembly tech for a company down in Clearwater, Florida. I moved away from uh, my hometown of Jacksonville, Florida, to um, Clearwater, no, I mean to uh, Tampa to attend school. And while I was there, uh, my first uh, got my first job in, in the industry. And that job, um, I was started out as an, an assembly tech, you know, building computers per uh, customer order. And as we started to do that, um, I was also what we term as a wire monkey, where you know I would go through the cabling piece, because um, back then it, it was kind of more an apprenticeship, if you will, that where you know you had someone that actually did the work, uh, or that was kind of the um, that was the real technician, and you kind of worked your way through doing those menial tasks of building computers, and you learn how to configure them, then you had to learn how to troubleshoot them. 
and you know so you grew knowledge that way through kind of uh, even an apprenticeship piece and the same thing with the cabling you know where i learned uh, the principles of cabling and um how to uh you know how to pull cable what type of cable should you use for this type of environment so that was kind of where i came through um and then uh, i moved back home because uh my parents both of them decided they wanted to get sick um, so um, I moved. I wound up moving back home to uh, Jacksonville, and I took a job with uh, America Online at the time, huge provider at the time. And um, uh, I was fortunate enough to get on with them, and I learned something there through uh, phone support. And so I got a job with them via um, uh, where I was a uh, technical representative, and so people would call into with problems and such. And I found that that job taught me so much that you know it was such a rich rich um on the job training uh, they, they had a great training course but um you know being able to guide people through their computer to troubleshoot it without actually seeing it because we didn't have like we have now a remote desktop uh-huh. so you know someone will call in and you would actually have to you know right you had to know the operating system really and particularly then you know we had to know multiple operating systems like you kind of do now but um, Windows wasn't quite as dominant, so you know you had Windows 3.1. You had different versions of Windows. First of all, that was a big pain too. <laughs> right, and then you also we were supporting um, Apple at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, so based on what the person was running, and they didn't always know what they were running, so having to guide them through telling us what they had, and again, you know, uh, I was troubleshooting. Um, what was funny is that uh, I had one of the highest. Uh, clearance rates on Windows 95, which had just come out. But one day I came into, my supervisor came into the office for an evaluation and he was, wow, you're really going through this Windows 95 stuff and, you know, because it's a new operating system and you're really taken to it. I know you know 3.1. And so he asked me a question and I'm looking at his screen and I said, so what operating system is that? Is that 95? And he said, yeah. And he said, and he looked at me and said, what, you've never actually seen it? And I was like, no, I've never actually, I've never actually seen the operating system. And to him, that was amazing that I was able to, you know, have the quality of troubleshooting. Um, but I told him, I just memorized the slides because I have a great memory. So that's kind of where um, a lot of it was, is that we had the slide book that we go through. And so someone would say, oh, well, I'm on the screen. You got to flip through and say this what it was. So I could kind of see it in my head as I close my eyes where they should be and what was on that screen. So, yeah, it's not like, again, today where we kind of, um, you know, we send them a link and they click on the link and we can take control of their machine. Back then, it was a case where we actually had to... Um, they had to drive, and we just basically had to explain it and where to go. Um, so profitable, like uh, for the, I think it was more profitable for the uh, the company owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we as as worker, you make whatever they give you, but they were making banks. Oh they yeah, small problem, and they send you oh hundred fifty dollars. How much? Mm-hmm. Fifteen bucks. <laughs> yeah, and then you got to remember, AOL was one of the first companies that actually had um, support that had free support of their product. Um, so that was one of the benefits to where if you got that disc, which everybody did, right, got that disc in the mail and you plugged it in, uh, we actually troubleshoot that for free, which no one did at the time. It was something no large company did at the time where, you know, to your point, yeah, you'd have to pay someone uh, for that support or you'd have to have a retainer, right, where you paid up front for that. So, um, 
so it was pretty cool but it really taught me a lot about the operating system and um it really taught me about uh, also about uh ui but also about the ux the user experience which is where i kind of excel uh, moving forward is um through my journey um so then i kind of bounced around from there to different jobs um you know i work for another uh, computer builder assembly uh, place here in town in jacksonville um, I actually took a break from computers for a minute um, and wound up working for a, um, a place that actually repaired car radios because, and funny story about that now, but back then you have to remember that computer, um, computers um, weren't really its own thing. It was a part of the electronic field still. Yeah. So, you know, my um, degree was in electronic engineering technology because there was no real computing field unless you were a programmer. So it was still a subset of electronics until it became its own true own thing. Um, so I mentioned into that, I repaired car radios for, you know, about a year. And then I was able to get on with another company uh, that did a, a field level support. Um, so I was the area support person for um, a POS system, point of cell, uh, computerized point of cell systems. Um, and then I moved from there to another company that did that. And um, then, of course, there was um, the uh, tech bubble burst, oh, yeah. and I was laid off from that job. And then I moved on to um, a, a, a local uh, nonprofit, which was a, actually a private school here in town. So they gave me, you know, some inroads into education technology as well as the nonprofit space for technology. Um, and I was there for ten years, and now I'm and started off my role here, and you know, work my way through to. Um, to PACE. And what was really um, attractive about the PACE opportunity is that we, uh, at the time, they were looking to really do something impactful and transformative. The technology, we used that term very loosely back then. It, was, it existed, but it wasn't really helpful. It was more of a nuisance. And so um, when I came on board, you know, they were in the process of actually building out a, um, a technology premise that actually was going to be a lattice, a support lattice, as opposed to um, what it was at the time. And uh, so we were able to really do that and um, we built a team to support it. And uh, we built the premise. So, and now, you know, we're on the other side where we're kind of a, a cutting edge on in our industry for what we do. Nice, that's, that's wonderful. I, I see you're very passionate about uh, the, the cloud services and you know that really intrigued me to have an interview with you um, like Microsoft Azure, AWS, which is my favorite topic too. What is your, what do you think, which one is better or you have better support or what you think Azure versus AWS, which one you will choose if you have, if you have to build something? So, um, it all depends on your individual needs. So that's one of the things that I like to caution people is you have to look at your company mission, your company needs, and then make a decision based on that. Mm -hmm. um, we were in a place where we were building um, a Microsoft house. So it was more, uh, I won't say convenient, but advantageous for us to go with the Azure cloud because of the integration as Microsoft around 2012, when they started to release their new server products, um, they started to build in the cloud components. Um, you remember that you know Exchange Online came along around that time. You had um, uh, Azure started to come along online, and they started to build into the server products those pr uh, premises that you can actually plug directly into. Um, so for us, particularly as a nonprofit, it became a, a cost 
vector for us that we it was easier for us from a cost perspective but also from a support perspective because um, as a nonprofit, you you don't really uh, we can't really build out massive teams who can do these type of things. So we have to make sure that we um, that we codify our specialties in different ways um, that really benefit us moving forward, um, so that we can be nimble and be able to support uh, our as large a premise and footprint we have, but with a very small team. So that was why we chose Microsoft really was because we were already in Microsoft House, so it was more advantageous for us to continue along that uh, linear path, um, as opposed to having to become experts in something else. Mm -hmm. um, now, again, the other caution is that cloud is its own thing, yeah. you know. I've built and stood up servers for 20 years before, you know, I got into the cloud business and a lot of the um, tenants, a lot of the principles um, are completely foreign. So you have to learn new language, basically, when it comes to how that works, you know, expressways and those type of things, how you interconnect pieces. Um, and, uh, but I will say also that both AWS and Microsoft have done a great job, and Google have done a great job of building in certain uh, um, premises that are more familiar. So as opposed to you back in the day having to stand it all up on your own, you can basically just buy a virtual server yeah. and stand it up in the premise, right? Same thing with Exchange Online, where it actually is you know, the Exchange version in an online premise. So you don't have to actually uh, stand an entire premise up. You have to just migrate. Um, your premise into that cloud section. So that has also been something where technology has caught up uh, to help benefit the customer and make it easier because um, it, it was it was a little, um, um, you could get deterred easily mm -hmm. by what you saw early on. Yeah, and, and you know, like, and you have seen after Corona, uh, I, was, mm -hmm. I was really, you know, into uh, when this Corona thing happened, um, I was doing a big project for a big, um, big national banks we were you know deploying um like all the the desktop environments for them it's a, one of the biggest bank in america and um then all of a sudden uh, a team came and they say oh you are leaving everything as it is you're not doing anything more and say like oh, what happened oh we are making this whole place as our camp base camp for corona um you know like uh, to to study to research on it as a bank, I, I said, really, you are doing that? I said, yeah, we have to do it because you know we are everywhere in America and Canada. I said, okay. So I was very eager to do my research. And then I said, Microsoft's gonna be a big winner out of this pandemic because mm -hmm. team was really getting out of it. And that is what happened. Uh, 10 million users, now they have 75 million and plus users on Microsoft right. Teams and they are growing leaps and bounds. So they <clears throat> win out of this uh, pandemic too. Microsoft really win out of this. As, as do Zoom, we are on Zoom call, you know, they win mm -hmm. uh, their share grown from zero to <laughs> somewhere like uh, they are more profitable than many other people. And I right. think the, the Corona has told us that a lot of, a lot of businesses, nonprofits, they were not ready for this thing. Now, you know, like no. nobody was ready. All of a sudden you have to make working from home close everything you mm. don't know anything so i think you know that it became a bigger challenge for people like you who are on the on the forefront of you know like running the whole organizations 
what you thinking what will happen in the next three months we have already gone through like three and a half months what do you think what what do we need to do now um uh, so uh, just to give you some background i mean one of the things that you know we because the other thing that you asked about was, um, and just to dovetail add into this conversation, being a nonprofit, it really helped us to be cloud, right? Because a lot of the services um, uh, per dollar were less expensive with the cloud premise as it was to just do an on-premise mm -hmm. piece. Um, so because of that, and your scaling is a lot better and a lot faster, that you can scale faster through the cloud than you can by building this on-premise. And lastly, um, your actual on-site premises. I mean, you have to, if you want to build this thing on-site, you've got to have, you know, um, uh, room to put this in and electricity and AC and cooling. Whereas, you know, the more that you can offload onto a cloud premise, it, it helps you uh, to be able to meet this type of demand quickly. So the example that I would give you for us is that we were using Teams. We had um, we were a Skype for business um, through Microsoft 365 or Office 365 at the time, and we transitioned in December to Teams. Yeah, um, I was getting uh, right. Yeah. yeah, so Skype. That was one of the things I was waiting for. I was actually on a training call with Microsoft regarding Teams, and I asked the question, "Hey, when is?" When are you going to deprecate Skype for business? Because that kind of informs me as to when I really need to shift my business. My team, um, I, I also you speak of Microsoft. We actually take to heart the uh, we dog food. You know, we everything that we do from a technical perspective as much as we can. We so we were living on Teams a year prior to that announcement in uh, in August, sure. and. Uh, the person on the call, the Microsoft rep, you know, she, uh, she went away and she came back to say, well, here's the announcement. And they had just released a press release while we were in the training oh. that they, when they were deprecating teams. So that gave me the ammo to then go back to leadership and say, okay, we need to, you know, we need to make the switch. And um, so we made the switch in December. We had already pushed everyone in that direction. We, and then uh, we were starting to do that, not, you know, prior to December, of course, but December was the hard date where we turned off Skype for business and you were forced to do that, um, that premise. Um, Teams, um, the benefit for that was that Teams being such a collaborative space, because I know we talked Zoom versus Teams, but they're not really competitors, except in this one instance of video conferencing. But as far as the um, having a collaborative platform where you have your chat, you have files, you have, it's it's a lot different, you know, uh, persistent chat, meaning that I'm, my team right now is actually, you know, engaged on a chat that, and if you look at the history of that chat, it goes back, you know, two years. So you don't really have that. If you and I chat doing Zoom right now, once we terminate the call, it's gone. So I don't have that record. Um, and then incorporating that as we talk about with some of the DLP that exists in Microsoft, where you can actually monitor and control the communications. So it's a different premise. Zoom is great at what it does. It really is. And it's actually pushed the rest of the market to have to make changes, such as Microsoft now has the nine by nine, the three by three grid, and they're moving to a seven by seven grid because they're feeling the pressure from Zoom. Um, and same thing with the uh, Cisco WebEx, they're feeling that same, you know, pressure. Um, um, Google made the meat free because they were feeling the pressure from Zoom as well. So people, Zoom put a lot of pressure on folks because, you know, they decided hey, we're going to really innovate and really make video conferencing easy and make it um, streamlined. Uh, now, the other side of that, though, is that whenever you, you got ease of use and you have security on that balance. And so because they were so leaning toward ease of use, security was down here. They said it was here, 
But, you know, once you started getting into corporate where people actually knew what was going on, you saw that it wasn't there. So now they're having to backfill a lot of the security pieces in that piece. So, you know, there's a little give and take with everybody and what they've had to do during the pandemic. So, um, so now we fast forward to, you know, March and in March, you know, our first uh, locally in Jacksonville, our, um, mayor made the announcement in the state of Florida, the, the Jacksonville mayor, Lenny Curry was the first one to actually shut down a city in the state of Florida. Then the, uh, governor basically put that into use to where other cities started to make their own decisions based on how we made our decision. And this was a ripple effect that happened at the local level and then the governor got behind it. So that's actually how the shutdown happened in Florida. And as we moved through this, it was a case where, okay, so how do we teach? Um, and so for us, because we had these cloud licensings that we had that were available to us that we hadn't activated yet, meaning our student licenses um, in the cloud, we made cloud only accounts for our students. And through PowerShell, we were able to just basically turn those licenses on. We did, uh, we have 3,500 students. Um, we have 27, act, 2,700 active. So we were able to turn on 2,700 students over, uh, over a weekend and oh, with accounts. That's a big uh, because that's what we needed to do to be active for when school started in most of our districts on that next week. Um, and so we're talking a lot of things here about how cloud and how the uh, collaborative allowed us to be able to set up our virtual classrooms and be able to continue delivering education um, to our students. Um, so moving forward as to today, you know, you have businesses are reopening, businesses are trying to figure out what their premise is going to be, what it looks like going back to work. Um, for some businesses, most businesses I know are going 50-50. There are some that are going full bore and having everyone go in. Um, the recommendation, again, just speaking from Florida, from the Department of Education here, they recommend sending everybody back to work because it's an, it's an economic issue. Uh, if you don't have children in school, then parents can't go back to work, right? So it kind of builds on each other. So based on that premise of um, of that, but some of the um, districts have pushed back. We've had one district, local district to us in Duval, another uh, adjacent district, district uh, push back and say, no, they're going 50-50 when they go back. And we've had other large districts down in South that, you know, because they're still in phase one of the reopening, that have pushed back and said, no, we're actually not going to bring all of our students back on campus either for, for the same reason. And um, so I said all that to say that virtual is still going to be with us because even in our own business, as we're bringing people back, we're encouraging people at our headquarters to um, continue to, if you, if you can have a meeting virtually, mm -hmm. have it virtually. Mm -hmm. For the last 90 days, we've been able to have the greatest um, test case in the history of man for remote services never done this kind of uh, no. i mean you know i'm in 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 for 20 plus year in my professional world done it audits and uh, you know like and we always said you know this can happen that can happen and yep. you know i work for a company which was like 5000 plus user company mm -hmm. and we were not able to move like 1000 employees at one time from um from lotus 3.1 to 3.2 that point <laughs> wow. so like, okay. because they were yeah. saying, oh, like what will happen to my files and we were not mm -hmm. sure and we were very hesitant to give them 
upgrades at that point because there was no cloud, you know, when the Lotus, Lotus was a Lotus oh, yeah, yeah. big thing. Right. And then eventually, uh, if I look today, migration can take a little bit of time, but the adoption of that can take a lot of time because employees are not used to the cloud. They don't have, mm-hmm. in, um, some days ago, somebody uh, talked with me and he said, like, you know, what happened that we, we use Teams but now we don't know where our files are. We never mm-hmm. have any confidentiality on them. We mm-hmm. never, because teams are right now, people are using as of user base rather than role base. Right. So suppose you, you told everyone, hey, uh, you need files, okay, I'm sending you a file in a Microsoft team channel. But now because channel was so big and so people used uh, like joining and leaving, joining and leaving each channel, nobody know who is the owner of this file. Who is doing mm. edits? Because mm. there was no role-based confidentiality on those files. So that became a challenge too that we're trying to solve, you know, like little by little as Microsoft also uh, releasing more features every day uh, because I'm, uh, you know, like uh, doing training every day on, uh, on the Microsoft Teams platform too. And I see that they are on an average releasing six to seven features a week, which, yep. is, which is because, you know, like they, they are, hiring more people as you you might not know actually aws just opened um office right next to <laughs> microsoft's office they yeah. want to say okay come to this bandwagon because now i don't know maybe aws is looking to build something like microsoft teams now i'm not sure yeah they're looking about something they just um is it uh, they just have a partnership with slack right oh yeah yeah that is right that's right yeah they just signed a big contract with uh, Slack, and um, and so yeah, they want to try to build some. They actually have their own internal Chime. collaboration. I can't remember. Yeah, Chime. Yeah. Um, and so uh, there is a possibility that they'll be incorporating Chime and some of the features from Chime into Slack. And I mean, it could be a great. I mean, they have plenty of money. It could be a great purchase opportunity for Amazon to be able to jump into this space because everybody wants to be in this space now. Yeah. Uh, because uh, to the point we're making is that the, the virtual, this is not going away. This yeah. is not going away um, for a lot of different reasons. Number one, you know, again, um, it's, we, we were able to do something in, in, in 90 days, in the last 90 days that nobody thought could happen. I know that I had resistance in my organization about it. I know others have resistance in their organizations about it. I've talked to CIOs um, all over the country and everybody basically, um, I was on a call recently with a, some other tech leaders, CIOs and uh, senior directors, like VPs of technology. And the question came up, you know, so how do you, uh, how do you increase adoption of these premises of, um, you know, video conferencing or, um, or to the other collaboration premises like Slack or Teams. And um, it was pretty simple. I said, we'll create a pandemic. Because what happens is yeah. everybody was forced to do this. And some of the points and the points that you make are valid. And but just to color in the lines a little bit, the the reason that a lot of those issues exist is because, you know, we had to do this in a hurry. You know, I had a weekend to bring in 2,700 people. I had, you know, less than that to acclimate all the people who hadn't adopted teams yet that, you know, even though we had had it for uh, three, four months, mm-hmm. you know, so it was a case where we had to do a lot of work quickly to get everybody there so that we can continue business continuity part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but also being able to now we've had to backfill a lot of the security pieces and 
you know, having different people, as you know, um, on any uh, engineering piece from an engineering perspective, once you bring in new people, they stress test it in ways that you don't because typically technology people <clears throat> and the people who do the training, they use it the way it's supposed to be used, right? You teach them how to use it and that's how they use it. Where if you bring in, can you, if you imagine bringing in kids who are used to chat, who are used to this type of um, social environment, they broke things that we didn't know were possible to break. Or they did things that we didn't know. So it's like, okay, now we have to make sure we're securing it this way. Or we had to do it because things we didn't anticipate based on how we were teaching them what to do. So um, what's awesome is that we were able to do that in that short period of time. And that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Your organization was able to, um, had to make a quick turnaround. Um, we had gone mobile again because we're a nonprofit. We took advantage of the fact that we were small and nimble and we bought all of our um, 98 is the number I have, 98, 99% of our um, computers are laptops. So for us, it was a case where, you know, what were the instructions? Well, it was easy because in Florida, we built for hurricanes. Oh, yeah. as a part of our disaster recovery plan. And for me, I don't necessarily believe in disaster recovery more than I do business continuity. So being able to um, tell everybody, go home with your laptop, make sure that you take what you need out of your office. Um, you know, if you have a cell phone, make sure that you take that with you as well. And, you know, show them how to you know, put the Teams app on the cell phone and that we can actually call students through Teams and walking through how all of those actually work um, that we could still keep the business side from a communication perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but again, we had to do that in a hurry. We hadn't done it with our students. And then as we did our surveys, we saw that there was a huge gap in, um, we've talked about this um, notion in this country of the, um, the technical divide, right? This pandemic, among other things that it showed in cracks in our society, the technology divide was front and center because you have students that weren't able to work from home because, you know, in our own research, we saw that we had students who may have had a computer and of those who had a computer, that computer was being shared by multiple people in the household. And so now you're asking them to do six hours of work, but, you know, they may have a sister or a mother who also, or a father who's got to work from home. So we saw that, you know, them having a computer at home wasn't actually the fix because that computer may not, they may not have access to it when we need them to have access to it. Um, and of those who had it, some didn't have uh, internet. They were, you know, using their phone, right, at home for internet related things such as social media, email, those type of things. Um, and of those who had it, they didn't have adequate internet. So there were a lot of pieces that, you know, had to be put together uh, supplementing. And, um, and we're fortunate that we had that. I know um, someone who actually is a vice president of a large bank that uh, has a large premise here. Mm -hmm. And them having to send all of their employees home um, was a challenge because they had all desktops. So now they had to go out and buy uh, someone they with about seven, 8,000, you know, laptops. All yeah. of a sudden, CDW was out of stock. Uh, big vendors were out of stock, and mm -hmm. they were saying, "Hey, we don't have any laptops. We can have Chromebooks." Mm -hmm. and, and people say, "Like Chromebooks? What we can do with Chromebooks?" And then you know, like desktop as a service can be a big role there when mm -hmm. Chromebooks to be used. 
right. But uh, one thing that I, I want to tell you that, uh, which I learned, maybe you know that too, when somebody is joining a Microsoft Teams call, like student is joining your Teams call, if they join after, if the, if the call is already started by the teacher, uh -huh. and then they join, now they will have the quality of the teacher's network as right. compared to their network. Uh, a lot of people are doing that mistake, uh, you know, like um, that they are joining call before the, you know, the, the administrator is joining the call. Now okay. they are giving their own network priority. So I always tell people, hey, tell your, if you are getting into a corporate conference call, don't mm -hmm. just start two minutes before that and say, okay, it will connect. Now you're your connection will be very have problems you know like it will it will be having uh, it look it will look like legacy connection because you are joining from your home internet which doesn't have that kind of capabilities as, uh, as of your corporate internet so th that is one thing that i always tell people don't join calls before the admin start the call that's a very um and provided that the admin has adequate internet everybody should be fine yeah that's yeah. uh that's an interesting point so now I... he's using his bandwidth so mm -hmm. everybody mm -hmm. using his bandwidth his connection quality will be prioritized by the microsoft team as compared to home internet's quality gotcha. yeah no, uh, that is one thing that i always tell people um, um the, i really appreciate that you were able to get 3500 users Mm -hmm. I, I know how much uh, resources you have. <laughs> As a nonprofit, you have less resources. Right. Getting that big people uh, is a big achievement. I really appreciate. No, I, and again, it's more or less I have to really, you know, give a hats off to my team because, um, but Microsoft does make it relatively easy to do so because through we were able to automate that through PowerShell. Right. Yes. Once we knew what we wanted to call the accounts, once we knew um, not only what we wanted to call the accounts, but how we wanted them configured and such, um, we were able to just stand up the premises now. And, and as you made a point that they've released new policies that are more student and education related that we just saw last week. There was a big announcement with 20 updates that are either that are either in the pipe that are either live now in the pipe or coming soon by the fall um, toward that end, such as the seven by seven, you know, where you can have 49 people, um, the new education policies that you can apply to students and to teachers where you can, you know, set up different ways for them to, once they join, uh, limits on or, uh, or, or roles that you can do. So which that's nice, um, that did not exist and that we needed desperately. Um, and so a lot of those things that we look through um, are able to help us. But yeah, the automation piece was huge. You know, um, because um, for so that means that my total user base that we're supporting went from about 500 with um, I have a team of uh, seven. Yeah. So it went from 500 to essentially some neighbor about 3000 or again over a weekend. So that was another challenge for us that we had to make sure that we can mitigate through that. Now, that's that's a great achievement. And uh, I would love to talk more about that yeah, we would have some more i think talks uh, you you really uh, you know like uh, have a, uh, you can really educate um, um, i would love to have another uh, session with you where you can go and we can make a video of other ctos uh, mm -hmm. which are trying in nonprofits uh, how to migrate in a in a good way to the mm -hmm. cloud and right. that 
that would be a great um, you know, thing that we can share on YouTube um, with people that, hey, if you are trying to achieve, I have already done it. You can either, you know, like at free of cost, call me, you know, if, if you would be, you know, like give them that kind of uh, expertise without, because nonprofit, you have a bigger heart as, mm -hmm. compared, to, as compared to corporates, you know, like <laughs> corporates doesn't want to give anything away, but that's right. the thing you want to do. You want to give away because that is what your mentality is. So I really uh, love talking with you today. Um, and uh, I would say that we should have more calls. And uh, I see a lot of people who are uh, joining uh, me on my podcast. And then I think after some months, I would love to have a, a big uh, conference call where each of you should come and share what happened after three months more. Because I think in six months, we will have a plethora of information coming hey you know like this challenges came we solved like that so we can have our own community of uh, you know like people's helping each other hey if i have this problem what happened with you because you know you were trying to um, solve the same problem in microsoft teams so right. that's uh, you know my goal end goal is to uh, use really linkedin in our favor uh, as compared to just uh, uh, facebook you know like so, uh, Matthew, again, thank you very much. Um, and I'll tell you, Mohammed, it's been a pleasure. And um, to your point, um, I, if you check, uh, it's, I think it's published also on my LinkedIn site, but I did an article for CIO Review on uh, technology and nonprofits. It's actually called Making the Case for Technology Transformation in, in the uh, Nonprofit Space. It got picked up by a couple of other newspapers. But it kind of goes through that journey that we had here at Pace and how we were able to make those decisions and how not only was it the tech team, but it was also integral for leadership to, uh, to be a partner in that transformation. Because I know uh, colleagues of mine and friends of mine in the same boat that uh, their leadership isn't quite bought in um, on it. And uh, so just the, the, the challenges that you can have there. So I would encourage you to take a look at it. Um, oh. not, yeah, take a look at it. Matthew, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate